Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. You know, we've been talking several weeks now about how the cost of lumber has been increasing. And quite frankly, it's still going up. Cost of concrete is going up. Now, concrete has not gone up anything compared to lumber. But the bigger problem is there's a shortage on concrete. So if you're looking at doing some concrete work, you may have some problems getting the concrete you need. Now, if you're doing just, you know, like a driveway or something like that, to have to wait a day or two is no big deal. But if you're doing, uh, I've got a project doing a bunch of uh, drills, piers, and putting in a retaining wall. I'm going to be using 450 yards of concrete. I can't start that project till I know there's a good supply of concrete available. Because when you drill those holes, they got to be poured right away. And right now, you can't verify that. So there's a lot of issues that are having to be watched and and uh, taken care of on on the supply and demand. And I, I got a notice last night that AC products are going up in cost again because the cost of steel is going up. And so they're going to be charging more for AC equipment. I mean, it, everything just keeps changing and going up. It, it's uh, It's becoming a real problem. So don't be surprised if you get told that, well, I can no longer honor that price. We've we've got to increase. In fact, a lot of uh, suppliers are telling their vendors, you know, their their contractors and stuff, do not promise any materials and cost. Uh, you know, give a pretty short time frame because right now everything is so much up in the air. Uh, we we can't guarantee our prices for more than a week or two. So it, it, it's an issue. And I know a lot of contractors are shutting projects down because the price of materials has gone so far, they can't even break even on their projects that were started or bid before. And so everybody's having to slow things down until hopefully cost comes out. And I do still believe the cost of lumber will be coming down. I mean, I'm watching what they're cutting and prepping and all that stuff, and they're going to be flooding the market with materials. Once that happens, it'll start sl- cutting the price down and, and slowing stuff down again. So hopefully we we won't be out too far on that. And on the concrete, uh, you know, the main reason for that issue is one of the plants that makes the Portland cement is down. So that put a shortage to all the concrete manufacturers. Uh, this should be rectified in the next month, month and a half. So hopefully, again, uh, everybody will be able to keep their projects moving forward once that happens. Jim and Franklin, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. How can I help you today? Hey, uh, I was just uh, going to see if I could. I just bought some acreage, and I was uh, cut this uh, cedar forest. And I was going to cut the trees down, uh, the cedar trees down, some of them, and just slide a little tiny home in on top of it and lay some select fill on top of it. Do I have to, can I do that, or do I have to do something to the stumps that are down the, under their ground? 
Yeah, you know, they used to build them. Is that I can work with? Uh, yeah, if you don't mind adjusting it later. How I mean, they, used to, I mean what, they used to build them that way, using Bodark. Uh, uh-huh. But the problem you're going to run into is they're not going to be in straight enough alignment to come and just set the house on it. You know, the house typically sits on four-by-six beams, and the post or the stumps would be underneath those beams. And chances of that being able to be all in alignment where you can do it that way are are pretty slim. Now, what you can do is cut them off um, and use them as the supports underneath the home. It, it was done for for decades that way. When you go back into, it, well, anything uh, from the really 1960 back to the 20s. And they're still being reshimmed nowadays. I mean, it, the the wood doesn't really rot where you got any big problems. It, I mean, it does over a 100-year time span, but it lasts a long time. But as far as just leaving the stumps and setting the house on those, I don't think you'd be able to get it lined up enough to, to be able to do that. Well, it's just it with blocks and that sort of thing, too, well, to well, what I mean, around. what I mean is, aren't they just kind of scattered out there, like a shotgun effect? Yeah, there's like about eight or ten that are maybe eight inches, ten inches in diameter, uh-huh. you know, but the rest of them are like three inch or one inch. Right, but they're not in a nice straight line where your beams nah, will fall nah. on top of them. And that, that's where nah. you're going to run into the problem. Oh, I see. Okay, well, that answers my question pretty good then. All right, well, Jim, I hope you have luck with the, with a new house. I Personally, what I would do, <laughs> uh, if, if I was getting ready, if you haven't built a, you know, built a house yet and you're getting ready to build it, I would take get a soils report done, and I would put mm-hmm. drilled piers down deep into the ground and put my mm-hmm. uh, foundation, you know, my beams on top of that. Because it's easily yeah. adjusted, but your chances of having any movement drastically reduce. Well, see, I've already I've already uh, got the tiny home, and it's going to set on blocks anyway. Oh, okay. You know, I figure yeah. I'm going to put concrete blocks under there anyway. I, I thought I might, you know, like all the stumps are on ground at ground level, and I thought I'd yep. bring in about six inches of select fill and put that. And I put magnesium sulfate on all the stumps. But then I thought okay. I'd bring in six inches of select fill, level that up, and then bring in the house and put it on uh, blocks. Yeah. Yeah, I would work? stick with the blocks. I would stick with the blocks then. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's – that's. man, I just wanted somebody to confirm that, and you did the job. I appreciate you. You bet. For all of your heating and cooling needs, turn to the experts. Turn to Carrier. This comes from Martin, and and I'm starting with this question because we're getting into, even though it's cool today, let's face it, we've been in the 80s, people have been running air conditioners and stuff, and people are already having problems with them. This question is, I bought a home recently, which is a one-story, 1,870 square foot, it had a five-ton unit. Is that too big? Question. Should I change it to a smaller one? Well, you never change out an air conditioning unit without doing a load calculation. And it doesn't matter if you're going, 
you know, replacing a unit or building a new home or anything else, that load calculation verifies the side, the, or side, the size of the unit you need. Uh, old rule of thumb was 500 square foot, one ton of air conditioning. So 1,870 would have typically been a four-ton unit, not a five-ton unit. But what goes into the new calculations, and I say new, they've been doing this for years already, is what you have for windows, what you have for insulation, radiant barriers, which way the house faces, how many windows, doors, all this stuff plugs into the calculation to give you the right size air conditioning unit. So even if you're replacing an old unit, you need to make sure they do that load calculation. And quite frankly, this has been in the codes for so long. If you've got an AC guy who's going to simply say, hey, that had a four-ton, let's put another four-ton in, get you another AC guy. Because they're being lazy, they're not keeping up with technology, and they're running a huge risk of putting the wrong size unit in because air conditioners, just like two-by-fours, are no longer a true two-by-four. A four-ton is not the same as a four-ton was 15 years ago either. Yeah, things change, and so do the sizes. So make sure they do a load calculation. So quite frankly, I can't say a five-ton is too big for this 1,870 square feet. On face value, it very well could be, but I would have a load calculation done first, and then you'll be able to know for sure if you got the right size or not. And quite frankly, they're really simple to do. I mean, it's it, it's all on a computer program. Uh, they run on iPads as well. I mean, it, it can't get any easier than that for the AC guys to do it. But we got, you know, old technicians out there saying, well, I, I, I don't know how to use this stuff, so uh, this is the way I do it. And no, if they can't keep up, it's time to move on out of the out of the business because things have changed and you got to keep up with the technology and that I mean that's just the way it is it is no longer just rule of thumb it is now detailed out the other thing that uh, you, you got to have checked as well is the size of the ductwork and things like that if you're getting a new AC system because you maybe have an 8 inch duct and it should be a 6 or you have a 6 and it should be an 8 in order to get the house balanced out right uh, and insulation, even on the ductwork, has changed. You know, it was a, an R6, now it's R8 that's required. So a lot of things go into it. And one last thing on putting in a new AC system, make sure they're pulling a permit. It amazes me how many AC companies don't bother pulling permits. Again, if they're going to shortcut on that, what else are they going to shortcut on the job? Kennedy, how can I help you? I'm painting my house inside and then outside. It's worth buying one of those sprayers, a sprayer that I could hook up to a five-gallon bucket. Actually, okay. they are they are great. Uh, I love – I have a sprayer myself, and um, yep. they work extremely well, especially if you're doing a surface that's not real smooth. But – you got to be prepared that you got overspray and stuff that you know that you got to deal with. So you got to typically cover a lot okay. of stuff and do it on a calm day. Where if you're using a brush and roller, you know you don't have to wait for a calm day. You're not having having as much stuff to cover up, uh, and you get a thicker paint coat on. So it typically okay. will last longer when you use a brush and roller than it does when you use a sprayer. 
right. So for the inside, I completely I take every piece of furniture out of the room and then paint. Uh, I don't paint around things. I just clear the room and, and tape it off and paint. So, all right, I'll just go back to the old brush and roller then. Oh, yeah, especially if you're using a pressure one. You know, a lot of the... Uh uh paint sprayers now have an option to hook up a roller where you get a continuous feed of paint on it and those oh, really? work great yeah graco has them huh okay i'll look that up yeah th they work well, great I've, I've used that a few times okay that sounds interesting all, all right, right well, you, you solved my question all right i appreciate it kennedy you, you have sir. a great weekend Thank you. We were talking with uh, Ron when we went to break there. and Ron, when you wrapped the uh, pipes, you know, I was asking, did you go all the way over the corners, like, you know, where you cut the material in a 45? Because a lot of times people try to just butt them up and, and think it covers it, and then it slides back a little bit, leaving those elbows exposed. Okay. Uh, what I did, I, I kind of improvised with the, with, the, with the pipe sleeves, Mm -hmm. And then I took the duct tape and also pipe insulation and tried to wrap around those elbows as best as I could. You know, yeah. like that. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, and the way it's supposed to be done is you actually cut a 45 into it and slide the two together. And that gives it full protection then. Okay, okay. So in, in your best estimation, would it be better just to have those brakes uh, filled uh, the last time in 89, I had 13 breaks. I don't know how many I got this time. Here. I can start counting. But uh, would it be better just to have the brakes filled or try to have the whole system replaced? Ooh, at that, you may be getting into a system replacement size. I mean, um, how big a house? Uh, it's about 1,600 square feet, I think it is. Okay. And how many bathrooms? It's got uh, two bathrooms. You know, here, here uh, obviously this is without looking at it, but you're probably looking at to replace all the pipes, something in the neighborhood of six or seven thousand. Uh huh. Versus, okay. I don't know what it's going to cost to do the repairs because the access is going to be the the big thing on doing the repairs and that. But uh, you're you're probably getting pretty close now. The replacement cost would be using. PEX pipes. Okay. Uh, PEX and, is the, and, it's the one that expands, right, sir? Yes, sir. That's what I was just going to say, and that, that would be your big advantage. But the thing is, the elbows don't, they're, because they're, you know, they're, they're still, if, if they got to put a, a hard elbow in it, that could still be subject to breaking, and so it does still need to be protected. Okay. I know you know you mentioned that you really didn't have any issues till uh, the heat started going on and off. I had the same issue at my house. My pipes okay. were doing great, uh, and once they st shut the, my power down, uh -huh. and and I started having to try to keep the house areas that I wasn't heating up, pipes started to freeze. Okay, let me ask you one more thing. If I would have went to the main line on, on the street, turned the water off completely. Open the valves up, drain every bit of water out of it, and let it be without no water and lines. Would, would that would have saved me in the future for future reference? Yes. Uh, if you drain the water out, the the pipe can get as cold as it wants, and it's not going to freeze and break. Now, the the thing is, 
you're going to have low areas that could still have water in them. You know, unless the pipes are all set to, to drain out, it won't necessarily drain them completely. But in general, yes, that would have really minimized any issues you would have had. Okay, that's what I wanted to know, okay. So we would have told me that, okay. All yeah. Right. And it doesn't have to be at the street. You can do it, you know, at a cutoff valve where the water goes into the house as well. Okay, well, the way the house is, uh, I know some people have a cutoff valve at the house. I don't have it. I, I have to use my key on the street there to turn it off. The The downside on using the key at the street is they a lot of times have water leaking by them. And so you shut it off, but 12 hours later, enough water's leaked by that it's filled the system up again and pressured it up again. Oh, and wow, so okay. you're back in the in the same boat. So if you want to shut it off that way, I really would recommend you put a, a cutoff, like a ball-type cutoff, uh, where the water's coming into the house. Okay, I'll have a plumber do that then. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, sir. All righty. You bet. Take care. Uh-huh. Yeah, there is a a lot of people who had pipes freeze, and, and a lot of people who never had pipes freeze before froze from this storm. It it was bad. There's no, no two ways about it. Uh, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you want to replumb the entire home. If you if you were having issues with the plumbing before, leaks springing up and stuff like that, then I would absolutely say go ahead and spend the money to replumb it. But if you weren't having any issues other than when it froze, then I would have to think twice. Where, but in his case, with that many breaks, it may be you get into the spending the same amount of money, so why not put the new plumbing? How can I help you? Yeah, this is Shorty. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Uh, you talk about changing your plumbing out with picks. How, how do they change? How, how do they get the original pipes out of the walls and things and in the, in the uh, concrete to change? Do they run the picks inside the old plumbing? No. Uh, in some cases, you can't get the old plumbing out, and you end up dropping down next to it drilling another hole through the you know plate up in the top uh so it just depends on how the access is and and what they can do to get it out okay my none of my plumbing is in the attic at all the only thing that's even near the attic is my hot water heater okay and it drops down out of the out of the attic out of the garage into my so all, water heater. All of yours are in the walls, or do they, are they running under the slab? They're running under the slab. Okay. And, you know, if you go to uh, Dallas and Fort Worth and uh, other places like that, uh, all of it runs under the slab. Houston is kind of unique in, in having it run overhead mostly, but there are some areas in Houston that it that it runs under the slab as well. In that I'm, in situ- South I'm in South Texas. I, okay. I just, I, I just spent the weekend in in, uh, in Houston at my grandson's, and uh, I, I was listening to y'all on my way back. And I, I gotcha. I've been wondering this forever how you would do that. But yeah, in in a I, case like what yours is, if you're having to have it replaced, they the pipes would actually be run overhead and drop down to the fixtures uh, because it's okay. impossible to 
to rerun it through the same places that they're at well, right that, now. See, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking. I just didn't know yep. what you would do. Okay. All right. So and that would have to be run inside your attic. Yes, sir. Daniel, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you, sir. My question is this. I'm, I'm doing some work on a, about a 60-year-old house, uh, and they had the old wood flooring in there with the screeds that was uh, secured with the black roof tar on the ground. You follow me? Yep. Okay. So we demoed all that. And my question is, what is the best way to remove that tar off that, off that slab? The only way that I know to remove that is to literally start chipping it off. And even at that, you're still going to see a black residue. What are you going to go back on down with it? Um, they they want to do the same thing, but being that there's just globs and globs of tar, we're going to have to get it you know, even before we even go back with anything. Okay. Yeah, t uh, the only way that I know to get that stuff off is you literally use a chipping hammer and chip it off. Uh, get it semi-smooth, and then, then you can go back over it. Uh, once you got it down to where it's back down to just the concrete, the only black you're going to see is what's in the pores of the concrete. And yeah, so, okay. okay. And uh, now I'm going to tell you, the the beautiful part about those old tar floors that way is they did not let moisture come through. And if you so chip all a, that off, a moisture barrier. it is a moisture barrier. And you chip all that off and you go down with one of these new floating floors or a glue down floor, you're likely to have moisture problems. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. Okay. Well, I thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate your uh, information on that. All right. Well, you take care and have a good afternoon. Thanks, sir. Bye. Uh, and, and this is just for everybody listening. The way they used to put wood floors in, especially back in the 60s, is the concrete was left low. They would put that hot tar down and set two-by-four screeds into it. Then the wood floor would go in on top of those two-by-four screeds, and so you've got an airspace underneath the wood floor. Well, that tar, not only did it glue the two-by-four screeds down, it was the moisture barrier that kept moisture from coming through and warping those wood floors. Nowadays, we're trying to use just concrete and put a plastic vapor barrier under the concrete when we pour the concrete, thinking that's going to stop it. Plastic was originally put underneath the concrete to keep the soil from drying the concrete out too fast when it dries, and we're trying to depend on it as a moisture barrier that it really doesn't do a good job of doing. That, that tar screed on the top did an excellent job. And if, if you're ever redoing a house and you want to make sure you don't have to worry about the moisture coming through, you can take that old wood floor off if you need to, leave the 2x4 screeds and that tar down, and just put a new wood floor on top. Uh, if you want to lay down 3 quarter inch plywood and then put the a floating floor on top of that, you can do it but you really don't have to take out all that tar and expose yourself to having a moisture issue. Manville, Mark, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you, Jim. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. 
I have uh, a new house that we bought in Manville, and we have a detached garage, and it's about five foot from the house. What I oh. want to do is put uh, uh, an overhang, like an awning, between the house and the garage. On the garage side, it's got hardy plank siding. And on the house side, so it's I got just, brick. So my question is, on the brick facade side, um, am I going to have any problems with the brick pulling away if I use regular masonry anchors? Or Absolutely. Or through the brick? you you, you got to go through the brick and get into the stud framework. That's what I kind of thought. I didn't want yeah. to expand and contract and pull that brick away and then have the whole side of the house come down on me. Yeah, and you very well could do that. <laughs> uh, so basically what you need to do is you'll have a board that will run on top of the brick that you need to run lag screws through right. the brick into the studs. Studs on the back side. And that was that was my concern. I've got hardy plank and studs on the other side, which isn't the issue, but I didn't want to put them just in the brick and have it pull away. Yeah. Yep. Good deal. Well, that's now, exactly I, 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 I want to yep. caution you on one other thing. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the bolts that you use are are heavy bolts because if you use just lightweight, they the fact that it's got to reach through the brick then there's another inch and a half before right. it get to the studs. You could literally shear those bolts off, and so yeah, you're going to yeah, need to I'm, use a, you know, like a three eighths half inch something along those lines. Yeah, that's what I plan on doing is putting several of the three eighths across on it. Yeah, probably okay. six inch lags, seven. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Good deal. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you it. You bet. Take care. Bye. Just for everybody questioning, why do we got to do that? The brick is strictly a veneer. It is not load-bearing. It is not structural. And if you uh, attach to only the brick, if your uh, garage moves a little bit, the foundation, the house foundation moves, anything moves with that cover at all, you can literally pull the brick off the wall. That's what we're trying to avoid happening. Nick, how can I help you? Yes, um, I was calling. I was... Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There's condos. Sometimes they uh, put the uh, washer and dryers in the uh, closet outside, right. uh, like a stackable, as well as there's sprinkler heads in some of the apartments that are in those closets. And I was wondering if there's any type of PVC that could be used that is um, unfreezable or for our temperatures here in Texas when it went down to the sub below. Nothing, no, all the pipes have to be wrapped and protected that way. I mean, uh, whether it's PVC, PEX, any of them, uh, the fluid inside can freeze. Uh, So that's what the pipe wrap is for, is to give it some insulation to keep it from freezing. Now, in those type of situations like you just talked about with the um, closets and that, a lot of times what I'll tell you to do is put a heat lamp in the light fixture in there, That'll keep it warm in that outside closet to minimize it from freezing. Uh, The other thing is you can also get uh, wrap to wrap around the pipes that you plug in, and they generate heat as well to keep the pipes from freezing. But it's going to require external protection. Is cast iron? Can you use cast iron or any other type of pipe other than PVC? Well, you they whether all, it's they all freeze, and what what happens will. is when the water freezes, it expands. So, galvan, uh, you know, yeah. old galvanized pipes they would break. Uh, 
Um, cast iron is gonna is not made for pressure lines, but it's gonna break. Uh, any anything when that water expands, when it freezes, it'll break the pipe. Except for picks, it doesn't break the picks because it it stretches, and then when it thaws out and the you know water goes back to its normal size, the pipe shrinks down again. So it doesn't will expand. It will expand, but you're not going to have fluid running through it. It's still going to be frozen up where it's not usable. Right, but it won't break and correct. What? Oh, okay. So PEX is the answer there. Yeah. Now you your fittings, but your fittings can still break. Oh, okay. So they need to design some fittings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, you got to wrap your pipes and protect them, Nick. Uh, okay. So right, wrap those pipes. What do you wrap them with? Then? They make regular pipe wrap. Uh, you know, those black right. things that look like the pool noodles. Uh, they've got a slice so on them so the that wall. you can literally put it in. Uh, if it's in the wall itself, that's where just keeping heat in the room will help with that. Yeah. Of course, when yeah. they shut the power off, we're all burned. Exactly. You can't even use those. Yeah. Yeah. But if you wrap it with those, if it was in the wall or prior to when you build it or something, they should wrap it. They should, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're doing a rehab or something like that or. Get them wrapped. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Take care. Back down to Cedar Hill. Brenda, how are you today? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'm I'm calling. I have a two bathroom home. And uh, I had my toilet replaced about three or four years ago, and now uh, the water flow in the um, in the toilet it comes up right through the opening. It doesn't come up high enough, and so and then when you flush it, I can hear it all the way back to like a glub 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 sound in my other bathroom. Okay. So what what would cause it to be at such a low flow like that? Is, a, a fill up is, like that. Is the other bathroom on the other side of that wall? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you've got two things going on. One, it sounds like just the the uh, float in the tank needs to be adjusted. Okay. Uh, which is a, a minor thing. But the other is it sounds like you've got a vent that's plugged up. And oh, okay. That's, that's why you're hearing the glug-glug sound, because it's uh-huh. trying to draw air through the vent it can't get any air through the vent, and so it's trying to pull it now through the other toilet. Okay. And so I would need to get a plumber? Yes, ma'am. They'll, what they'll have to do is probably run a snake down through the uh, roof jack, which is for the vent, and mm-hmm. cl- clean it out that way. And while they're there doing that, they can adjust that toilet real quick as well. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I want to know. All right. You take care, okay, Thank brother. you very much. Bye-bye. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.